And if I can extend my welcome, uh, it's great to see you all. My name's Mike. I'm one of the ministers here. Uh, and uh, just for our regulars, we're obviously having a, a pause in our Hebrew series this week as we have our Kids Holiday Club celebration. But let's me, uh, let me pray and then we'll have a look at this passage. So make sure you've got that in front of you because that's what we're going to look at for the next 20 minutes or so. Let me pray and then we'll think about uh, this event. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God. Uh, we thank you that you created us to know you and you haven't left us in the dark, but you've revealed yourself to us in your word and most fully through Jesus, your son, whom we're to hear from now. Heavenly Father, help us to hear and to live in light of your word. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, being a parent of four kids, a phrase I constantly like to use in my household is, what's the problem? Uh, I normally work from home, and sorry if I bring back memories of uh, working from home through COVID lockdown, but I work from home usually. And school holidays, as much as I love my kids, uh, nice to have them around during school holidays, as much as I love them, it's a bit of a nightmare for me, because there I am, peacefully working, do you remember COVID lockdown? Peacefully working, trying to diligently do your work, and then out of nowhere comes the screams and the squeals from downstairs. And uh, I often ignore scream number one, think, oh well, they might work it out. Uh, by the time I hear scream number two, and then hear scream number three, which usually means my wife Emily's uh, maybe outside putting the washing up on the line, or she's in the shower. So by the third scream, I know I've got to do something about the kids downstairs. Uh, and being the great dad that I am, uh, what I then do is some of my own screaming, and I yell, what's the problem, from my upstairs office. And uh, the problem at this stage can be anything, can be anything. Uh, so if the reply comes back from them, uh, you know, he won't give me the remotes, then I yell back, well, sort it out, or you're both in the corner, which, uh, which is good. It usually buys me 10 minutes of peace. Uh, 10 minutes is usually long enough for Emily to be back on the scene, and so then I'm free to get on with my work and make it her problem. Sorry, Emily, I do love you. Uh, but if the reply comes back from one of the kids, there's blood, then I know I've got to do something. And so I jump into action, and I know the problem needs to be dealt with. And that's, that's the thing with, with problems. See, to understand how serious a problem is, you need to put it into perspective. You see, all of us have problems. I know you've got problems. You know why I know? Because you're human. I know you have problems. I have problems. We all have problems. Our world is full of them. They're a daily reality in this thing we call life. We have problems. And some of them, they're tiny. Some of them are expected. Uh, some of them, in the end, they're quite harmless, but others, they're, they're serious problems. Uh, they're they're life-changing or they're life-threatening, and you need to attend to them. Uh, they need to be dealt with. And in the Bible passage that was just read uh, for us from Yvonne, we meet this man that had real problems. This man had real problems, serious problems. But as we uh, think about this event from 2,000 years ago, it might just surprise you what his biggest problem actually was. It might surprise you what was actually the most pressing and the most serious and the most in need of dealing with of his problems. So again, make sure you've got your handout with you. It'll be really helpful for you to, uh, to read along from the bit of paper as I read from it. Uh, and I want to work through this little Bible passage with you. And uh, this passage comes from a part of the Bible called Luke. And Luke is what the kids have been looking at during the week at Kids Holiday Club. They've been looking at this Bible book called Luke. And uh, Luke was a physician. He, he was a doctor. And he wrote down a historical record of what a man called Jesus said and did 2,000 years ago. So please, please keep in mind as we read this, 
Uh, and even as Bryn said, as we read this old book, what we're reading is real history. Uh, it's real people, real places, real events. And the passage, if you've got it there in front of you, it begins in verse 18. So have a look from the little verse 18. And it begins with some men carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed, a man who could not walk. And the reason they did that, the reason they carried this man on this mat, is because by the time, by this time in Luke's recording about Jesus, Jesus had been known uh, as this incredible healer by this time. He, he had been known to do these incredible things. And uh, don't think late night TV, don't think dodgy man in a white suit who says, hey, I can heal you, 1-800, I can heal you, just send me a 100 bucks and all will be well. No, no, this guy was legit. Uh, the rumor on the street was that this guy, Jesus, could actually heal people, that this was the real thing. And so they bring this paralyzed man to Jesus because they want Jesus to heal him, and they believe that he could heal him. But as we get to verse 19, look at verse 19, there's a problem, the crowd. And it just shows you at this point how popular Jesus was. Crowds of people were coming to him to be healed, which is only human. See, at the moment, I've got, a, I've got a dodgy ligament in my right hand. Just ask Florence about it. I've got a constant pain in my lower back, like almost every other older man here. I've got knees that take time to wake up every morning. Uh, my body hurts. I can see a couple of middle-aged men uh, sympathizing with me at this point. But, but if somebody actually could, could heal, miraculously heal all my ailments and all yours, wouldn't you go see them? You know, if YouTube videos showed this guy who... He was healing people miraculously, and then he was at Cogra Town Square this afternoon, and it wasn't raining. You'd go see, right? You'd want to be healed. You'd at least want to see. It seems to be legitimate. And so there's this great crowd that was surrounding Jesus, making it hard to get to him. And so what were these men carrying this paralytic to do? Well, look again at verse 19. Verse 19, since they could not find a way to bring him in into the house where Jesus was, because of the crowd, what did they do? They went up on the roof of the house and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. And before you think that's just too weird to be true, uh, don't think pitch roofs, roofs with tiles. You know, don't, don't think uh, color bond steel roofs like we have in our modern day. In Jesus' days, roofs were flat. And it was quite common to have stairs up the side of the house that would go to the roof of the house because that's where you would put your clothes to be dried and things like that. So it was quite common to be able to go to the roof of the house. And the roof of the house was made of clay and reeds and strips of wood. So this is, this is all very doable. It's reasonable to be able to, to dig a hole, remove a clay tile and drop this man through the roof of the house. But it does show how desperate they were to get this paralyzed man to Jesus, to be healed. And it just shows how much they believed that this guy, Jesus, and the rumors about him, the, how much they believed it was true. How much they believed that he could actually be healed. And this is what we must realize as we think about this man's problems, this paralytic. Him not being able to walk, that's a real problem. See, if you want to understand how serious a problem is, then you need to put it into perspective. And uh, I don't want to minimize the problems of your life or even of my own life. Uh, I know, again, you've got problems. We all have problems. But for most of us, if we compare to what this man had to suffer, and if we put our problems in perspective to what his were like, then I think our problems probably aren't as serious as we think. You see, we need to remember that this was the first century. 
See, when you look at verse 18, did, did they wheel this man on a wheelchair to go see Jesus? No, they didn't. They had to carry him on a mat. This man, he had no way to get around. He didn't have a wheelchair. If he wanted to get around, then people had to carry him. There were no wheelchairs in the first century. And in the first century, there was, there was no government welfare. Uh, there was no disability care. And in the first century, if you, can't work, if you can't walk, you can't work. If you can't work, you can't eat. And so this man uh, probably spent his days literally begging, begging for money, begging for food, that there was nothing else he could do. And again, I don't want to downplay the problems of your life, but as you think of this man, it's humbling, isn't it? The real suffering he had to suffer. This man had real suffering, real hardship, a real problem that faced him relentlessly day after day. He'd wake up every morning and he still can't walk. The same problem every day. Which makes what we read next a real shock. See, look at verse 20. What do you expect to read in verse 20? Jesus, a healer, right? Supposedly he could really do this stuff. And they've gone through all this effort to get this man to Jesus. They've carried him from who knows where to this house, and then they've dragged him up the side of the stairs of the house. They've lowered him through the tiles of the roof to put him before Jesus. And verse 20, look at verse 20. What do you expect to read? Seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, your legs are healed. But he doesn't say that. See, what does Jesus say? Verse 20, seeing their faith, Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, why does he do that? Just imagine you're one of those four guys carrying this man on the mat. You've gone through all that effort to bring him before this healer, Jesus. What a disappointment. What an anticlimax. What a hoax. You know, where's the healing? That's why we've come. Where's the miracle? Uh, If I imagine myself as one of those four men, I'm thinking, my back's sore. I don't want to have to carry this guy again. You're kidding me, right? Imagine you were the paralyzed man. Every morning you wake up, I can't walk. And you hear the rumor of this healer. You get all your hopes set up. Imagine you're the paralyzed man. I thought I was going to walk. I thought the problems of my life would be over. I knew this sounded too good to be true. Back back to begging for me. That's my lot. You see, what's going on here? Is Jesus a fraud? Or is he, or is he just cruel? Because, hey, he, he had a good track record of being this healer and people believed he could do it and they'd seen him do it. So did he just not want to heal this man? Or is it that Jesus knew something else that no one else did? You see, here's the point of Jesus' words to this paralyzed man. He's saying to this man, even with all his problems, he's saying to this man, your biggest problem is not your legs. Your biggest problem is not the fact that you cannot walk. Your biggest problem is your sin and the need for your sins to be forgiven. Uh, And I know it's uh, it's very unpopular nowadays to talk about sin uh, and there's all sorts of confusion about what sin actually is. So whatever you think sin is, just, just ignore that for the moment. Put that out of your mind. Because if we're going to understand what's happening in this passage, then we need to understand what the Bible means by sin. And sin, it has so much more to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other than it does with the things that we do. See, the Bible's really clear. God is the creator. And we, we're creatures of the creator. We're made by him. 
And he made us to live a particular way. He made us to love him, our God, with all our heart, all our mind, all our souls. And he made us to love each other, to love others, as much as we love our own selves. But the problem is, we don't. Uh, on the whole, we ignore God most of the time. We, we, we prefer to be our own little gods. You know, I like to make my own rules up. I like to be my own God. I like to live my own way. And then what, hap- what do you think happens when you have millions and billions of little human gods on this one planet that we call Earth? What do you think will happen when you have millions and billions of little gods trying to live their own ways? What happens? You get conflict. You get suffering. You get pain. You find that no one is truly selfless in the love of the other. And that's what the Bible calls sin. It's, it's our failure to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and truly to love others as we love ourselves. And this is one of those things where you don't need to wonder. Uh, if I can make this clear, you don't need to wonder, hmm, you know, do, do I sin? Uh, do, do I have what the Bible calls sin? You do. I do. We all do. You just need to look around at our world to see its effects everywhere. You see, there's no wandering in this one. It's like leaving the house almost every morning uh, at the moment. You don't have to wonder, do I need to take an umbrella? You do. Uh, You might need a boat. See, the Bible's really clear. We all have sin, and it's a problem. Why? Because sin sin condemns us. It, It actually convicts us before God of failing the way that he, the creator, created us, his creatures, to live. And because God cares about justice and cares about how we treat him, the one who made us, and cares about how we treat each other, because of all those things, God says sin must be condemned. It must be judged. It must be punished. It must be dealt with. And so if I can go back to our passage for a moment with this paralyzed man, do you understand what Jesus is saying to this man? He's saying to him, your biggest problem is not that you cannot stand. It's not that you cannot walk. It's that you stand condemned before God. That is your biggest problem. He's saying, realize, O paralyzed man, that the problem you most need to attend to and and you must deal with is this problem of sin. Because if you don't, you remain condemned. And I won't have time to explain this in full now, which is is why, uh, please, you must, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, if you don't understand these things in full, please register for the upcoming life course. Because the Bible says that to stand condemned before God, that is the worst of problems. Uh, If I can be blunt, whatever your problem is, this trumps it by far. That's the Bible's claim. It's saying to stand before God condemned is the worst of problems. It means judgment. And it means facing the right and just wrath of God for our sin. And when the Bible speaks about this, it's not some empty warning of a parent. Uh, You know those empty warnings of parents? I can't tell you how often my kids leave their water bottles behind at school uh, or at church or at the park. Or they leave their hats or their jumpers or their glasses or their socks or anything else that isn't literally part of their anatomy behind. That's what they do. If, if their arms could be disconnected from their bodies, my kids would leave their arms lying around all the time. See, this, this isn't an empty warning of a parent. Now, if you lose your bottle one more time, if you lose those things one more time, you know what you're getting for Christmas? Four water bottles, three school hats, two pairs of socks and a partridge in a pear tree, Right? And what happens on Christmas Day? They get a nice present anyway. It's not the empty warning of a parent. I joke, but this isn't the empty warning of a careless God. 
See, God cares about injustice. He cares about sin. He cares about pain and hurt and suffering. God cares. And because of that, Jesus is saying to this man, in essence, he's saying to this man, forget your paralysis. Just imagine you were the paralyzed man before Jesus. It's as if Jesus is saying to him, forget your paralysis. Forget your unemployment problem. Forget your inability to get around. Realize that your biggest problem is this problem of sin and that you stand condemned before God. See, doesn't that give us some perspective? Again, I don't want to belittle the problems of your life. I know you have them. I have them too. And for some of us here, we have real hardships that must be dealt with. We have the daily grind of life that's hard and it's unrelenting. For some of us, you know, we drop into bed every night just exhausted because of the problems of this life and what they give to us. Sometimes we're unable to sleep because of the problems of our lives that are filing into our heads. And yet Jesus, if he stood before each one of us today, Jesus would say to us, realize that you and your problem and the one you need most dealt with is the problem of your sin. And he would add, and I can help you with the problem of your sin. I can forgive your sin. And that's what the rest of this passage is about. See, have a look again uh, from verse, have a look now from verse 21. Because the religious elites of the day, they come up to Jesus and they protest about what he's just said to this paralyzed man. So look at verse 21. The scribes and the Pharisees, they're the religious elite of the day. They began to think, who is this man, Jesus, who speaks blasphemies? Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? Which is a fair question. Uh, like I said before, sin, it has so much more to do with our relationship with God than it does with the things that we do. And in our sin, what we do is wrong by God first and foremost. Primarily, sin is not against the other person. It's against God primarily. He's the creator. He's the one whom we ultimately sin towards. And so the question here of the religious elite, it's, it's a fair question. You know, Who do you think, Jesus, you man, Jesus, to forgive sins? What right do you have to forgive sins? Sins against God. Only God can forgive sin. Imagine if today, as you left our church, I hope this doesn't happen, but imagine today, uh, as you left our church service, you went to your car, and some thug came along and uh, you know took your keys and pushed you away from your car, and then they got into your car, and in their haste, this thug, they, they take off in your car, and they smash the pedal to the floor, the tires light up, and because it's wet, the, the back of the car you know kind of spins around, and they smash into a pole. And then imagine that I just turned up, seeing what happened, and I knock on the car window, and I help the, the thug out of the car, and he's okay. And then I say to him, she'll be right, mate. Now, don't worry about it. I, I forgive you. Off you go. See, if I did that, you'd rightly be asking, who, who do you think you are to forgive that person? That's my car. You might even say to me, well, who's going to pay the excess? You can pay now. But you, you get the point, right? It's the, it's the person sinned against who has the right to forgive. And so what right does Jesus have here to forgive this man's sin Against God. Well, look at what Jesus says. Look at verse 22. Verse 22. But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say get up and walk? Which is really a trick question at this point because none of those things are easy. Who can forgive sins? Only God. And uh, who can cure a paralysis person, someone who's paralyzed? Even modern medicine can't do that. Who could do that? It's only a miracle of God that could heal a paralyzed man. And so look at what Jesus says and does next. Verse 24. Look at verse 24. But Jesus says, So you may know that the Son of Man 
And that's Jesus referring to himself there. So you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mats and go home. And verse 25, immediately the paralyzed man got up before them all, picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. In other words, Jesus says, So you know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Let me show you my authority by what I do. I healed this paralyzed man. I do the things only God can do. And so who do you think I am to forgive sins? I am God. That's what Jesus is saying. And just just imagine you saw this take place. Imagine you were in the house that day 2,000 years ago. I mean, some of you here are probably thinking, I can't believe that. This is rubbish. Maybe you're thinking, I, I can't believe this happened. There's no way that's, that, that this could happen. That's unbelievable for this to happen. But you see, that's the point. It is unbelievable. Sometimes people think that the generations that lived 2,000 years ago, that they were unintelligent and gullible and they were easily led astray. And so they believed things like this. And that's why stories about Jesus and healing spread around the place because people were just a bit silly and, and they just believed these sorts of things. But the people who say that have never read ancient greek philosophy they've never studied first century rome and the engineering of first century rome and people who say that they've most certainly never read the bible people back then were not silly see look at how the crowd reacted in verse 26 what do they say look at verse 26 then everyone was astounded and they were giving glory to god and they were filled with awe And they said, we have seen incredible things today. But the question for us is, what do we do with these incredible things? You see, this week the kids have been learning at Kids Holiday Club that Jesus came to look for the lost and save them. And in this passage, we've seen Jesus diagnose the biggest of our problems. If you want to understand a problem, then you need to put it into perspective. And Jesus tells us, whatever the difficulties of your life may be, or your kids' lives, or your friends' lives, or your parents' lives, or your neighbors' lives, whoever else for that matter, the problem of sin trumps every other problem in our world and in your life. See, that is the problem that most needs attending to. That must be dealt with. And what the kids have learned this week, and what we have learned in this passage, is that Jesus came to save us from our sin, to forgive us. Of sin, so that we can know God, so that we might not stand condemned before Him. And if you do not yet know that forgiveness of Jesus, I really do hope to see you at the life course. Please don't, don't just push away these big questions of life. Take time to think about what the Creator says. And if I might be so, so bold, what you need more than anything else are these words of Jesus in this passage. For Jesus to say to you and of you, friend, your sins are forgiven let me pray well heavenly father we do thank you that you haven't left us in the problems of our world and the problems of sin and with all the wickedness and evil we do see in our world we thank you that you haven't left those things uh, to just carry on forever we know that you are pleased to forgive us we know that jesus died for our sins so that we might be forgiven And we pray that for any of us here who do not yet know that forgiveness of sin in Jesus, they might make the time to listen to you 
and hear of the most grandest thing that they need, forgiveness. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.